Hello and welcome to the Soccer History USA podcast. On today's episode, the Hartford Hellions. The Hartford Hellions were a team in the Major Indoor Soccer League, or MISL. The franchise lasted only two short seasons, compiling a dismal record of 19 wins and 53 losses. At the end of that time, the club was sold and relocated to Memphis. On today's podcast, I want to look at the the case of the Hartford Hellions and try to understand what happened. And in some ways, the story of the Hellions is unique, of course, but it's also symbolic of some of the problems and challenges faced by the MISL. I'd also like to use the case of the league and the, the team to illustrate three larger points in U.S. soccer history. Uh, these are challenges and problems that have been faced by soccer leagues and teams from almost the beginning of uh, the sports history in this country, uh, but also in some ways continuing down to the present day. And these three challenges or three larger points are a lack of continuity of clubs, uh, with few exceptions, the clubs uh, that were founded even back at uh, the turn of the century or in the 1920s and after, a few have uh, survived down to the present time. The second challenge is the general absence of serious media coverage by major uh, sporting outlets, uh, initially uh, newspapers and magazines, uh, and now television, uh, although this, of course, is changing, especially with the advent of the Internet. And then finally, the last challenge is the perception that soccer is either not a real sport or not an American sport. The MISL was established in October 1977 by Ed Tepper and Earl Foreman, Foreman had owned professional sports franchise in basketball, football, as well as outdoor soccer. And like many leagues, including the very first professional soccer league organized in the United States way back in 1894, arena owners or stadium owners were key elements of this league's plan. Uh, they wanted to be able to fill the seats uh, uh, during the times when other major sports were not playing. Ultimately, the MISL would last 14 seasons and attract something around 27 million fans. In that first season, though, there were six teams, and they played a 24-game schedule starting in the late fall of each season and carrying on into the spring. There were a few differences with uh, traditional soccer, and most of these rule changes were designed to improve the sport's uh, position on television. And so it included dividing the game up into four 15-minute periods to better facilitate the placement of commercials. It included having a kind of red-orange soccer ball that would be easier to track on television, and perhaps in, uh, perhaps in contrast to hockey, where many people find watching it on television difficult because the puck uh, can be hard to find. The goals in indoor soccer were larger to try and encourage more scoring, which it was thought would appeal to American audiences. And they also had strict rules. Well, maybe not so strict, but they had rules regulating that a majority of a club's roster had to be made up of American players. And while this was a rule, in general, there were ways around it. 
The league spent about $3.5 million just to start up, and after the first season, they had lost money. But according to their own uh, projections, they were still on target. There were, however, a few worrisome signs. Uh, The Cincinnati Kids, which was a franchise owned in part by baseball legend Pete Rose uh, and the club that had competed in the inaugural, the league's inaugural game, uh, folded at the end of that first season. And this would be something of an unfortunate tradition throughout the history of the MISL. And in almost every season of the, the, the league's existence, at least one team folded, uh, moved to another location, or suspended operations. So that was an ongoing challenge that the league continually faced almost every year. The, this lack of consistency in terms of the franchises made it difficult in some ways to build uh, established uh, fan bases. It precluded the development of rivalries if a club didn't know uh, who or what other teams were going to be playing from season to season. And it gave the whole enterprise a sense of instability. Despite this, however, uh, by 1983-84 season, uh, the indoor version of soccer was more popular than the North American Soccer League, the outdoor version, and after the NASL uh, went belly up in 1985, MISL was the only top-level professional soccer being played in the United States. In 1983, Frank DeFord wrote an article for the magazine Sports Illustrated called Show, Sex, and Suburbs. And uh, if we take a few minutes to examine this article carefully, we can see some of the, uh, the successful things that the MISL accomplished, but also some of the problems and challenges that it, that it continued to face. Uh, This major article by DeFord was one of the few, maybe only a handful of larger, uh, you know, multi-page articles that Sports Illustrated ever published about the league. So even though the league was around for 14 years, there were only uh, literally one or two or three major articles written about the league. And so the league continually faced the difficulties in getting the attention of major sports media outlets. And this is the time in the 1980s before large-scale cable networks existed, before the internet existed. And so Sports Illustrated was one of the fundamental sources of sports journalism, of sports information for uh, most people. The league also had difficulties getting into major newspapers, especially in large cities like uh, even New York. Uh, And uh, part of the problem here may have been the lack of betting lines. At least that's one of the arguments that DeFord makes in his article, that uh, sports fans often turn to the page, look at the betting lines, or at least it was free publicity. And he relates the story that Jimmy the Greek, the famed uh, gambler and later football commentator, uh, offered to uh, create lines for the for the league, but this would have costed something like four hundred dollars a week, and so they declined. The league was, from the beginning, marketed not necessarily as a sporting event, but more of a spectacle and an entertainment event 
Ron Meyerhofer, who would own the Denver Av Avalanche, uh, said, we are not in the soccer business, but rather in the entertainment business. One of the major uh, aims of the MISL was to try to bring in female fans. And so they devised a whole series of marketing measures and campaigns designed to appeal to women. Uh, one of them was the sex appeal of the players. Uh, the Philadelphia Spirit, for instance, had a radio advertisement that included the line, hot legs, hot time, hot action. The clubs had cheerleaders. The Hartford Hellion squad at one point was going to be called Hell's Bells, and the Denver Avalanche were cheered on by the Snowcats. Not all teams tried to use uh, sex to sell their uh, sport, uh, but many of them did, and it was a common feature of the league. In fact, many players or many uh, franchises, including Denver, uh, when, the, when the teams came out of the the dressing room and onto the pitch at the beginning of the game, they brought with them roses, and then they would hand these roses out to, to female fans in the audience. Another way that the clubs tried to appeal to women was in their role as mothers, and so the, the league and various clubs really emphasized community engagement, as we would call it today. And so, for instance, the Kansas City Comets one season made over 500 community appearances in the city and surrounding areas. And this, too, was quite successful. And uh, the MISL, for a time, was the only major sport with an audience that approached something like 50% women. Overall, the marketing ideas and innovations of the MISL was probably one of its most significant contributions to the history of American sport. And even DeFord in 1983 uh, described uh, or, or characterized the MISL as, quote, what a fully integrated sports promotional effort will henceforth resemble, unquote. And anybody who's ever been to an NBA game or even an NFL football game will probably see some echoes of these stunts, many of which were pioneered by the MISL. Now, DeFord's article is complementary in many respects, although one might argue that he takes a fairly traditional view of sports and that this whole idea of sports as entertainment was still something fairly shocking and unorthodox and very non-traditional in 1983. Uh, but he also has a kind of condescending attitude, I think, towards the sport, and he describes it in ways that are... Uh, detrimental, I guess we might say, uh, especially considering that the audience of Sports Illustrated was likely largely male sports fans. And so he describes, for instance, the players as six little fellows to a side, and he describes the, the red-orange ball as looking something like a ladybug. So the implication here is that this is not quite the manly sport uh, uh, something like NFL football would be. This kind of uh, backhanded compliment or even condescending attitude is also uh, evident in an article from the Washington Post, again, a newspaper that didn't necessarily provide a tremendous amount of uh, day-in and day-out coverage for the league. Uh, the writer described uh, indoor soccer as a schoolyard game that rubs the purest like fingernails on a blackboard. 
and described uh, or quoted a fan who was attending a Baltimore Blast game only because his friend was one of the officials. The fan stated simply, I prefer soccer. The major problem for the soccer league, however, and its franchises was that it simply wasn't making money. By 1983, uh, the league had lost uh, something like an estimated $21 million. And perhaps even more worryingly, they were not really making it in the major sporting markets of the country. So Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, even New York City. And one of the league's early successful uh, dynasties, I guess we might say, the New York Arrows, they won the league title in its first four seasons. They were bankrupt by the end of the sixth season. So the the league had continual problems uh, locating successful franchises in major metropolitan areas. The Hartford Hellions were uh, the brainchild of local sportscaster Roger Sim, who would later lose his home in this whole debacle. He initially had the idea to bring a MS, uh, an MS, a MISL franchise to Hartford, Connecticut, and a friend of his recommended William Chipman as a potential partner and fundraiser. Chipman was a 35-year-old CPA who had no uh, soccer experience or even any experience in sports or sports marketing. He uh, did have a growing reputation among the uh, wealthy of Hartford for providing tax shelters uh, for his rich clients. Eventually, several years later and, and after the Hellions had moved away to Tennessee, he was convicted for tax fraud and would spend some time in prison. The connection between, I guess we might say, tax benefits uh, and uh, ownership in the major indoor soccer league was not necessarily unusual. Again, to quote Ron Meyerhofer of the Avalanche, he said the league was run largely by men who understood the nuances of the federal tax code. On April 24th, 1979, the MISL awarded a franchise to Sim, Chipman, and two other investors. And they were given a deadline of mid-September 1979 to raise an estimated $600,000 to, uh, to uh, make real this uh, franchise and to put a product on the field. They sold shares to a number of investors, but not enough was, uh, was raised. And so Chipman uh, proceeded to falsify various records and to use uh, deceptions that uh, – enabled uh, more investment uh, to flow into the club, but they did not raise nearly enough capital, and this would be a, uh, a continuing problem for the Hellions. This was perhaps not unusual. Even the Avalanche, who uh, were run by people who had both marketing experience and extensive soccer experience, uh, when that franchise began, they had an initial starting investment of $1.7 million, uh, which was less than they had hoped to raise, but still was more than twice as much as the Hellions, and even the Avalanche couldn't survive more than two seasons. 
The Hellions faced other problems. The Hartford Civic Center, where they were going to play their home games, had been undergoing repairs and was not ready by the start of that first season. And so the club was forced to play games uh, in cities like New Haven and Springfield, Massachusetts. The club also suffered a series of what might be called self-inflicted wounds. They alienated the state youth soccer organization uh, by scheduling games during the championship weekend. They There were questionable PR moves like uh, fabricating a story that the Hellions were about to sign Giorgio Canalia from the Cosmos. There were uh, dodgy sorts of personnel moves, hiring people and then firing them without really any explanation weeks later. Uh, one player even uh, put himself on waivers. Uh, Hubert Vogelsinger, who was the head coach of the San Diego Shockers of the North American Soccer League, was hired to be technical director but clashed so much with Chipman that uh, Vogelsinger eventually uh, called him a maniac uh, who was impossible to work with. During that first season and continuing over the offseason and into the second season, the unpaid bills quickly piled up. Uh, players and staff were not paid. Uh, taxes were withheld from paychecks but not sent to the government. Uh, insurance uh, 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 insurance premiums were not were not paid, and the health insurance of the players and even the liability insurance of the team itself were canceled. And so Chipman became increasingly desperate and began to take more and more money from other investments in an effort to uh, bolster the bottom line of the Hellions. Uh, it proved to be impossible to stop the bleeding, and the club was eventually sold at the end of its second season for uh, a reported $275,000, which after the wages and the taxes were taken out, it left about $110,000 for the more than 200 creditors uh, that claimed payment from the Hellions. Uh, some of these creditors included the MISL itself, other clubs within the league, uh, the Uni University of Connecticut marching band, and at the time, a fairly small and uh, largely unknown regional cable network called ESPN. Overall, the club had debts of about a half a million dollars. And so for all of that, uh, the results, again, the two-year season, uh, two-season record of 19 wins, 53 losses, and they conceded 116 more goals than they scored over that time. Now, the situation of the Hartford Hellions uh, was unique in the sense of the financial malfeasance uh, by a Chipman, uh, but similar problems uh, plagued not not necessarily due to illegalities, but problems in terms of raising enough money and then of making enough money to continue the existence of a soccer club plagued many of the other, even some of the better run franchises in the league. And so as we see, the clubs uh, within the MISL and the league itself faced uh, challenges just like other clubs throughout the history of American soccer, some of which were their own fault and others were beyond their control. The lack of a, a continuity of clubs and leagues, again, gives the whole sport sometimes an air of uh, instability. The absence of major press coverage in newspapers, magazines, and now continuing on television and on radio. 
and then overcoming that idea that soccer is not a real sport or not an American sport. Thank you for listening to the Soccer History USA podcast. For episode notes, please visit the website at www.soccerhistoryusa.org and follow me on Twitter at Soccer History US.